Lord Charles shifts the narrative a bit. He's talking about a global climate crisis and putting the world on a war, f- war footing? All the governments of the world, one person in charge of trillions of dollars of assets. CDC says you'll have to wear a mask for the rest of your life. And no, that's actually not a lie. Jen Psaki, she t- she got vaxxed, which is why she actually got COVID. Uh, we have a new governor in Virginia, but I'm even more excited about the lieutenant governor in Virginia. Can't wait to show you who that is and what she's all about. So much to talk about on this very slow news week. This is the rundown. Attention customers, can Lesko Brandon please come to the service desk up front? Lesko Brandon, please come to the service desk up front. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Uh, can you pay somebody, please? Yeah. Uh, it's uh, first name Lesko. Yeah. Uh, Brandon. Lesko Brandon. Yeah. Let's go, Brandon. Your party's waiting for you at guest service. Let's go, Brandon. The party's waiting for you at guest service. Wow, that's pretty good. You sound like a professional. You must train at this every day. I do it every night. This whole <laughs> okay, thank you, buddy. Let's go. Like, let's leave? Yeah, kind of like that, yeah. So, uh, they're in here somewhere. Brandon, or... Yeah, last name Brandon, let's go, first name. Let's go? Yeah. I saw him over there, but I just can't seem to find him. Let's go, Brandon, to the front, please. Let's go, Brandon. Okay, I well, hope that helps. Thank you very much. You know, you sound like a radio DJ. Are you on the air, too? Is this like your part-time job? No, this is my full-time job. Okay. Well, you got a nice voice. <laughs> Let's go, Brandon! 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 When you look at the Biden, the Brandon administration, in terms of what they're doing. Dr. Walensky said on an earlier uh, an earlier briefing today, this is really becoming a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And that means getting vaccinated, you can save yourself. And some breaking news out of Washington, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki has tested positive for COVID. This is really becoming a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Psaki says she last saw President Biden Tuesday. They were both were wearing masks and social distancing. Getting vaccinated, you can save yourself. Getting vaccinated, you can save yourself. She canceled her trip with the president to the G20 summit last minute after a family member contracted COVID. even sure if glory and shine wants me to replace their music i just i never asked
<laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was funny. It's not, it's it's funny, right? I, mean, I would have paid the Holy Father everything I I would have given my car. It's like if you would just say, "Let's go, Brandon to Joe." <laughs> I'll Maybe buy this pizza for the rest of your life. Maybe that's he probably what no idea what was going on. How he would have broken the internet. I think that said, no, I think that's why Brandon pooped. That's probably what <laughs> Francis said. <laughs> this actually happened. We don't even have that as a story. That I mean, so, I mean, we're not even talking about that. I mean, poor guy though. If we keep calling him Brandon, eventually he's gonna end up thinking that's his that's his real name. I know it's like taking advantage <laughs> of a of, of a senile guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, my goodness, top story tonight. Every time Bill Gates opens his mouth, he forecasts the future. And uh, in this snappy little interview, <laughs> well, he tells us what's coming next. And are we doing things now, or rather, are we not doing things now that we really need to be doing in preparation for the next pandemic? Yeah, so it was 2015 that I gave the uh, TED Talk and wrote a number of papers uh, titled, We're Not Ready uh, for the Next Pandemic. And sadly, that was uh, a better forecast of what would happen than uh, anyone would have wished for. You know, the economic damage, the, you know, the deaths, it's been completely horrific. And I would expect that will lead the R&D budgets to be focused on things we didn't have today. You know, we didn't have vaccines that block transmission. We got vaccines that help you with your health but they only slightly reduce the transmissions. We need a new, a new way of doing the vaccines. We didn't get much in the way of therapeutics, uh, you know, dexamethasone and now uh, molnupiravir uh, could help, but way less than, than should have been the case. We didn't get the diagnostics up and running in order to, you know, achieve what at least Australia and New Zealand showed that uh, competent management could keep the death rate down uh, pretty dramatically. And so I'm hoping in five years I can write a book called, you know, we are ready for the next pandemic, but it'll take tens of billions in R&D uh, that the U.S. and the U.K. will be part of that. It'll take probably about a billion a year for a pandemic task force at the WHO level, which is doing the surveillance and actually doing what I call germ games, where you practice, you say, okay, what if uh, a bioterrorist brought smallpox to 10 airports, you know, how would the world respond to that? Okay, smallpox, I think he just told us. Mm -hmm. Smallpox is next. <laughs> they haven't killed yeah. enough people yet. I predicted that in 2018. I actually said smallpox will be a pandemic again because everyone thinks it's been eradicated, and they've been sitting on it in their bioweapons labs, making it twice as virulent. In Fort Detrick. I think there's this book, Virulent. There's this book called Demon in the Freezer. I don't know why I read it in college, and it was about how the Soviets had weaponized smallpox and made it 200 mm -hmm. times more potent, more deadly, uh, more virulent, SAT word there, uh, than it than in natural occurring. <laughs> they had vats of this stuff, vats. I mean, just, just tens of thousands of gallons of it, and an, ostensibly one or two drops would be enough to pretty much wipe out humanity. Um, but enough of, but enough about gain of lethality. It's now EP square, uh, to the third power. That's right. No, we can't we can't actually say those words on, on YouTube for that type of research, which the Soviets did. You know, when the wall came down and the Soviet Empire uh, came undone, Ryan, no, nobody actually tracked where all this stuff was. Where were the, where were the vats? Where's the demon <laughs> right? in the freezer? 
or like the Soviet nukes, like so many other things the Soviets were working on that uh, just kind of disappeared and nobody knew where they went to. And ha- all, it's just like World War II. Operation Paperclip. And you got a certain number of Nazi scientists that the U.S. picked up and said, okay, we're not going to let these guys be tried for war crimes. We're going to house them over in our labs and have them work for us now. And including people who had worked in engineering uh, the worst horrors uh, that were seen in World War II, like Mengele and his his uh, professor. Um, uh, the name is escaping me now. Starts with the V. Uh, he he was not Mengele himself. Um, <clears throat> Mengele's uh, teacher was actually teaching in Berkeley. And then you had uh, you know a number of these other German scientists that were Nazi scientists working on the greatest evils uh, at that time. They get swept up over here, and the other half went to the Soviet Union. Similar thing with the breakup of the Soviet Union. Half of them went to China. Half of them went to us or the UK. And so it's like where all that material went, nobody knows. I would put good money on Fort Detrick. I'd put good money on the Wuhan lab in China. Mm -hmm. Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang. The (laughs) Wu-Tang. Hey, so this is your weekly uh, news fix this is the Fab Four. Uh, it's nice to have you back, Ryan. It's just not the same without you. Um, well, thank you. We talk about everything under the sun that, uh, from a Catholic point of view, but there are some stories that we're not going to talk about, and there's one in particular that we won't. But we do have some awesome things to talk about. For example, there was an election today or on Tuesday, right? Was it Tuesday? Yeah, Tuesday. Yeah. It was they a weather election. Well, thank Dominion, this lady won. I am at a loss for words for the first time in my life. You know, I love you too. I am here. Yes. Marine Corps. Motivated, dedicated. So... I'm I'm here because of you. I'm here because you voted for me. I'm here because you put your trust in me. That's the only reason I'm here. Thank you. Thank you. Got my speech. Want to introduce to you my husband, Terrence. Anyway, apparently the state of Virginia is going to be now led by the most diverse administration in the history of the state um, and the Republicans. Uh, It just doesn't square with the narrative, uh, Steve. And as a result, CNN, MSNBC, LSD, uh, they they didn't carry the speech from this lieutenant governor, this gun-toting Marine black woman who is now the lieutenant governor of Virginia. Yeah, the uh, CNN is... uh... (laughs) They're losing it over there. There's there's been a couple of videos of them just just you know, just their brains are falling out and they're just ticked off beyond mad. But this is the way: think locally, act locally. They're it's having a Brandon Charts event. What? <laughs> they're having a, a CNN's having a Brandon Charts event. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's it's like a Trump 2.0 for them right now. I mean, 
In North Carolina, we got Mark Richardson as lieutenant governor. He's a he's a uh, uh, overweight black man that's uh, very charismatic. And is now running for governor of North Carolina in twenty twenty four. Uh, he'll probably win. Cooper won't be able to run again. And uh, you see that with almost New Jersey almost had a tie, a switch uh, up there with the GOP or to uh, I think seven hundred vote difference uh, after twenty four hours, and then I think the uh, the incumbent ended up winning. We saw a lot of flips over there. And everyone's going, ah, that's what's going to happen in 2024. All right, get, give me the hookah bite. You're, you're smoking something good if you think D.C. will flip like that. It may, but don't, please don't say Trump. Please, whatever you do, say anybody. You know, if you, if, you know, what happened in 2020. But this is exactly think locally, act locally. You can switch your local and state governments. You see that in Virginia. Virginia was targeted – by these guys, uh, B2 Bomber, Bob Dornan, talked about this about six to eight years ago, how Colorado was pro, uh, was number one, Virginia was number two, Texas was number three on their chopping block to flip it over. Virginia got flipped big time up there. We just, well, they let just me, got it let back me play, in the way. Let me play devil's advocate. We're not going to have a Vatican II uh, uh, canonization here. We're actually going to challenge this thing. <laughs> My question to you, good sir, is if Dominion can do what it wants to do in 2020, why do you think that they would allow uh, an incumbent? I mean, look, a, a guy like Terry McAuliffe, he was literally campaigning to keep parents out of the classroom. I mean, he 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 knows dove his own campaign. He's a Clinton washed up hack. It's time to move forward in the Democrat party, no? Oh, I accidentally removed Steve instead of uh, <laughs> I was oh, trying to screw you. I was trying to full screen you and I dropped you off. You dropped me. I got I got ca- I got canceled by my own show. Uh, <laughs> that, that happened in North Carolina. I mean, it went red across the board except for Cooper that year and Cooper got money from uh, uh, George Soros and his son and people from California and New York, uh, et cetera. But I don't know. I mean, Dominion can't – I don't know if we get too much credit for Dominion on the state level. Again, I mean, who knows? I mean, I don't want to go – there's somebody putting a plant of, uh, uh, you know, switching out Terry. But, I mean, you got, they can't be that overpowering. I can't give them that much credit to pull that off. Federal level, okay. You can do that at different states, Pennsylvania, for example. Uh, yeah, but doesn't it just seem like it'd be easier to do at the local level, Brother Martin? I mean, you're talking about like, like we all have a friend. In fact, you have a mutual friend up there, Ryan, who ran for school board. I just checked the votes yesterday. The guy lost by like 100 votes, which is not that many people. I mean, you, you talk about like controlling things at the local level. It would seem to me that that would be much, much easier to accomplish than, you know, some like uh, international coup d'etat. Mm-hmm. Let brother go I first. Then. I, got something to I said two names. On. <laughs> I know. <laughs> In regards to the local level. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It does seem that that would be most logical because it's smaller, et cetera, et cetera. But then again, if you're not out there in the, in the public and people don't know your name, if you're just introducing yourself, to to your communities now as you're running i mean you're you're in the same struggle people like to vote for household names they like to vote for that which has the best pr that which has the best or the most money to produce nice flyers etc etc yard yard signs Uh, there's there there is a certain aspect of all of that that makes people feel comfortable for voting someone even when they don't know who that person is or even what that person stands for 
So when it's for non non uh is binary political party elections like school board stuff, um, I mean it's down to who knows you and who's comfortable with your name and and not. And so people do need to be out and involved in their communities um, before they think about running. That's that's an important fact. But also um, in regards to politics, I mean reading reading the Old Testament, there's a lot of books in the Old Testament from from Kings to Ezra to Nehemiah to Judith. Uh, to the Maccabees that really they parallel our times almost, almost exactly. Um, we're not, we're, there's, there's not going to be a time where we're not persecuted. And I think a lot of our expectations regarding politics is to finally create a time where we can just sit at home and relax and not have to worry about anything politically. I think mm-hmm. to be honest, that's an unrealistic expectation. Um, what we do, we're, we're here on this world for a limited amount of time and we're obliged to fight. That's what's expected of us. Um, so I think our, instead of like, I mean, we've heard a lot about, you know, making our expectation, you know, lower your expectation. I'm not saying lower your expectation. I'm saying that they need to be of a different category. Things aren't going to be beautiful, perfect, et cetera, et cetera. According to our worldly mind of perfection, um, we're here to fight. We're here to struggle. Indeed. Indeed. Um, as if that's not bad enough though, uh, as if it's not bad enough that, um, we don't really know what's happening with our elections. <laughs> the feds are now raiding renegade media. I mean, I, I'm sort of expecting the FBI to show up at my doorstep next. This is Project Veritas. By making this statement, I am putting myself at great risk because on November 4th, Project Veritas came under attack. I woke to the news that apartments and homes of Project Veritas journalists, or former journalists, had been raided by FBI agents. It appears the Southern District of New York now has journalists in their sights for the supposed crime of doing their jobs lawfully and honestly, or at least this journalist. I had to think long and hard before making this statement. It's a decision that only I can make. They don't want me to defend myself and immediately try to silence me. That's why the cover letter to the grand jury subpoena we received contains this language. Quote, the government hereby requests that you voluntarily refrain from disclosing the existence of the subpoena to any third party. While you are under no obligation to comply with our request, we are requesting you not to make any disclosure in order to preserve the confidentiality of the investigation and because the disclosure of the existence of this investigation might interfere with and impede the investigation." But while the Department of Justice requested us to not disclose the existence of the subpoena, something very unusual happened. Within an hour, of one of our reporters' homes being secretly raided by the FBI, the New York Times, who we are currently suing for defamation, contacted the Project Veritas reporter to ask for comment. We do not know how the New York Times was aware of the execution of a search warrant at our reporter's home or the subject matter of the search warrant, as a grand jury investigation is secret. Now, let's ponder this for a moment, because there's the story that we're not going to talk about. But do you trust federal police? Do you trust no. the FBI? Do you no. trust your, your government? Here you no. have the government blatantly acting against the rights of someone that they disagree with. This is political targeting. Here you have the government colluding with other news organizations. <clears throat> and, um, and, and those news organizations uh, condemning people and taking opinions regardless of the facts. Does that sound familiar at all to anybody? It does. Let's connect a few data points. Let's connect New Zealand. Recently, the New Zealand premier 
going at a press conference and, and just talking about whatever nonsense COVID uh, misinformation that the government there is spreading. And you get a reporter, independent journalist, asking questions, saying, well, you're saying X, Y, and Z, but let's look at the numbers out of this other country, you know, uh, A, B, and C. They, they, what you're saying doesn't add up. And then she just stops. Oh, uh, well, sir, you're not an accredited member of the press, so we can't let you to ask questions here. It uh, doesn't answer the question, runs. And then basically when he continues to ask the questions, they, all right, folks, we're going to go to a secure venue inside where he can, these independent journalists can't come in. And only you nice accredited journalists that work for the six people that own all media in the world who's, who are only going to ask questions we've approved of uh, can come in. Connect that with the data point of uh, Merrick Garland, the attorney general, uh, you know, going after parents that uh, based on like a school board report going after parents who dare to demand accountability in their schools. I'm not big on public schools. I don't think you should be putting your kids in public schools, but I mean, let's just, just dealing with the facts of the matter, right? Parents are saying, Hey, wait, what are you guys teaching in our schools? I'm not sure about that. uh, I don't know what to tell you. I think we all know what they're (laughs) teaching in public schools, but um, and then Merrick Garland says, these people have to be terrorists and the media are essentially uh, the new black shirts or brown shirts, whatever shirt, you know, some, some crazy authoritarian uh, enforcer behind it, just like social media, just like Twitter and Fedbook and, and whatever else uh, out there that are coming in enforcing whatever the government is saying about anything. The media is the exact same way. All the media, they think they're these wonderful arbiters of truth. They haven't been that is since even before Watergate. They're basically enforcers of the narrative, which is put out through non-governmental organizations, through uh, social engineering groups and communist groups and whatever else. And so the New York Times knows that Project Veritas has been raided because they've been given the task of crafting the narrative about why they've been raided. And so, you know, know, Eurasia was always at war with Oceania and so on and so forth. Um, It's like that's where we're at. You mentioned two things. You mentioned Merrick Garland, who's the uh, attorney general of the United States. He was the uh, at one point uh, nominated to the Supreme Court, didn't make it. He was filibustered by uh, Mitch McConnell, the first manly thing that that guy ever did, I think, in his life. But um, but you but you 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 tied it into education, which it turns out that critical race theory is something that his family is personally invested in. Yes. Check this video out. My children are now in private school and are thriving. We had specifically moved into L- faced out of LCPS due to the swift and uncompromising political agenda of Superintendents Williams, Ziegler, and the, and the school board that have forced upon us. First, it was in early spring of 2020 when my six-year-old somberly came to me and asked me if she was born evil because she was a white person, something she learned in a history lesson at school. Then you kept the schools closed for a year and a half despite the science indicating that it was safe for kids to return. And now you've covered up a rape, then arrested, humiliated, and falsely accused her parents of being domestic terrorists. I wish I could return my kids to LCPS. Private school is expensive, and I want my kids to be able to walk home from school with their friends in their own community. I refuse to allow you to destroy our schools. They are not your schools. They are our schools. You all should be ashamed, and you should have the moral courage to admit you are wrong and step down. But the problem is, right, the problem is what she's, the problem is that mindset. Yeah. Sending your kid to the public school, but complaining about the public school because the state runs it. 
And thinking, I mean, that's the whole purpose of it. Like we keep saying all the dog on time. It's a pillar of communism. And they say it's a state fund, it's state school, it's state education. The state wants to teach your kids how to not grow up like your morals are. They want to pull them away from your parents. If a parent gets up there and says, oh, your problem is the state-run school, the problem is you for putting them in the state-run school. Stop <laughs> doing that. Brother this Martin, this erupted, this erupted on Twitter today. There was a debate on, on Catholic Twitter about public school. There was somebody saying that, you know, uh, well, you, it's, it's hard to homeschool kids because, you know, it presumes that you have a, a single-income uh, family, and how are you going to afford all of those glorious things? The only people I see, brother, brother Martin, who make those arguments on Twitter are people who don't homeschool, don't know anything about it, haven't done it before, don't know how cost effective it is. And potentially, I hate to say, it, people who are unwilling to accept a lower standard of living make a sacrifice for your children. Also, though, this isn't something that we just pulled out of our hats. This isn't something that we, you know, from our own personal trad perspectives or whatever that we're saying. In the 1917 code, you literally had to get your bishop's permission to send your kids to public schools. You had to get your bishop's permission to send your kids to public schools. You were required to send them to Catholic schools. I mean, uh, Mother Cabrini, um, St. Rose Philippine Duchesne, they all founded schools all across the United States, particularly for the poor immigrants. Um, Elizabeth Ann Seton, particularly for the poor immigrants, because Catholics were required not to send their kids to public schools. This isn't something that we're just pulling out of our hats. And the 83 code has changed, of course. Um, but that's the situation that we're in. Also, that that uh, Catholic schools aren't even Catholic anymore. And bishops are saying this. And, of course, what's scandalous about bishops saying that Catholic schools aren't Catholic anymore is they're the ones precisely that have the power to do something about that. Mm. But they don't. Um, so, yeah. And we can go back even further. I mean, Jefferson started public schools in, in Virginia to directly combat Catholic schools. Mm -hmm. and, and what was that story a couple months ago that we joked about? And we're not joked about it. We've kind of applauded. It was New York cutting uh, how many Catholic schools went down. And we're going, well, great. In a sense, they can't teach the Catholic kids heresy anymore. Because like like brother said, how, my old, the Catholic school I went up to, it used to be K through nine. It's now, I think, K through six. And they're under 100 kids to come in because they, they care more about act like a pirate day than mm -hmm. what, you know, what goes, you know, who's the saint of the day. Well, I know. I mean, think about, think of, think back to uh, to your public school days, Steve. Think back to your public school days, Brother Martin. Ryan, I don't know if you were. In I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's deeply repressed, but if you can peel back the layers of defensive tissue that you've literally grown in your brain uh, to protect yourself from thinking about it. All the time wasted, you know, going to homeschool and, and doing this and that. And then the assemblies and the busy work and the and the um, the, the worksheets, the endless worksheets. My goodness. You know, the, the, the total number of hours in a day that a typical public school child critically thinks is probably less than one, less than one hours of critical thinking a day um, and maybe two hours of actual learning a day are happening in the public school and people act like they have some constitutional God-given right to drop their children off uh, and have somebody else raise them. I'm sorry. You have a constitutional God-given duty to raise your child and to teach your child. It's the exact inverse of what these lazy parents are, are, are talking about, Ryan. I'm getting excited. Can you? <laughs> right? I mean, good grief. Get, get me excited. But 
you see this erupt on, on uh, in, in, in Twitter, as I call it, on Twitter. And basically, it's like this. You have people who don't homeschool, and they have this this idiotic notion in their head that, oh, that means that you guys must be rich. and Because obviously, you, you couldn't possibly live without two parents working in the home. Uh, we have homeschooled our entire life. Now I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm nowhere near upper middle class like some of these tweets like to allege. Um, but I was homeschooling my kids when we had nothing. We had an absolutely nothing. I was an assistant manager at freaking Walmart. All right. And making a paltry wage at that and still, you know, having to be there 60 hours a week. And we homeschooled. And she, my wife is, you know, since my first child was born, my wife has never worked ever. I mean, she, she has worked her tail off. She's more hardworking than most women I know. Um, but she's not worked a job outside the home since my first child was born 14 years ago because we made those sacrifices. We made those sacrifices when we had absolutely nothing. And it's like, well, I actually don't know what's going to be for dinner this weekend. We'll see what happens with money and what we can do and what we can make happen. We cook every meal from scratch. We don't eat out. We don't, you know... I mean, and nowadays, you know, every once in a while, like our anniversary or something like that, we'll get out or something of that sort. But generally, I'm cooking or she's cooking and we're cooking meals from home. And, and most Americans would be like, wow, that's like Thanksgiving dinner like level quality. It's like, that's normal for us because we want to feed our kids well. We pay less money than all the people are eating out all the time. I can attest so to it, this. It, I have you make those sacrifices. Like king. I have eaten like a king at Ryan's house. Your <laughs> wife works hard and she is a wonderful cook. Uh, I, in yeah. fact, I think you you slaughtered one of your animals when I came over. It was very OP. <laughs> he saw you down the road and brought the fatted calf and met you down. <laughs> he did. He <laughs> did. He, he, son his own. <laughs> he put a robe on my back and a ring on my finger. And, I mean, it was a it was a whole thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> My boy oh, was dead, and he come back alive. <laughs> we gotta go. We gotta move to the next video because the uh, the uh, where is it? Prince Charles. Prince Charles is ascending to the throne soon, ladies and gentlemen. His mother is finally sick. Looks like she's canceled her schedule, and um, his his very important uh, his important business that he's like to announce for the world. Uh, has has been revealed, and here it is. He wants to garner all of the assets in the world, trillions, out of his mouth. Wait, who's this guy? His disposal, and he's not referring to himself. It's, a, it's an other that he's referring to. With trillions at his disposal, far beyond global GDP. He follows that by saying, basically, the world leaders aren't smart enough to pull this off. And with the greatest respect, beyond even the governments of the world's leaders. Which refers back to the his. That's why it has to, it has to be in this power. Here we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector. So he's advocating an individual, in my assessment, that's going to run in a military style, is marshalling his word again, the assets, the people, and, and the will to change the climate. But it's really a consolidation of power in one entity, and that's the scary part. I refer back to the word his. There's no precursor in his, I looked at the whole speech, there's no precursor to what, who his refers to. It's. It's just an entity. It's a personal pronoun. 
of somebody. It's an, it's a, it's an individual. I have a Christian background. Could be the Antichrist. I don't know. To fundamentally change the financial system. So we have cryptos, we have fiat, we have gold, we have silver, and we have countries that are printing money. The United States is the leader in that, uh, that they don't have. Debt, 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 debt. You can't, you can't do that. You can't run a business, a country, anything on that. So what are you going to do? Collapse it. And what happens then with COVID, with the supply chain issues, with all of these things that are all distractions, because the ultimate thing is the power grab. It offers the only real prospect of achieving fundamental economic transition. It's the one, it's the one. And I believe that that man has an idea of what the one is. And it ain't a good thing. <laughs> See, you're just brushing up on the fourth industrial revolution over there. I mean, it, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what's going on. Uh, but we need to be on a wartime footing, my friend. <laughs> Cheerio. Uh, do you take, do you, don't you take the climate seriously enough? How dare me? How dare I? I mean, what did they ban this week? Nothing. What is the biggest cause of that thing? Wait, what? They banned farting? <laughs> oh, cow farts! But, you know, oh my goodness! Yeah, the Chick Fil A cow is now. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Does, does this mean that Brandon committed a mortal sin or a venial sin standing next to the Pope? Yeah. Well, the, the funny thing about the whole methane thing was, uh, they they banned meat. They're or they're banning methane, which they want to get rid of meat. And the problem was, a blog came out saying how hypocritical. Sixty percent of their food this week was meat. Mm. Which goes to the, we won't be allowed to eat any meat, right. but our overlords will have no problem. Yep. Ryan, you have, I think, been one of the uh, the clearest voices about how they're going to shift the narrative. Um, I'm going to reference a news article uh, that came out in Italy, and all it says is that the Department of Health in Italy is reclassifying some of the deaths that it had previously classified as being a certain way. And the new death count is 97% less than what it actually was purported to be. The narrative for whatever phantom thing that I'm talking about is coming undone. It is collapsing in much of the world. And you were one of the early voices to say they're going to shift it into environmentalism to keep the charade going. Here you have Prince Charles saying that the, there needs to be one world government on a wartime footing with centrally managed assets to change the weather. Lest you burn any wood in your wood stove or burn another piece of coal, Mr. Cratchit, or uh, dare eat one bite of meat. How dare you? We can have that, of course. Prince Charles and his his fellows uh, is perfectly good for them, but not for us. G.K. Chesterton actually predicted this in his own book, The Flying Inn, which if you've never read it, you should. Um, and he talks about elites, and elite is looking at uh, you know taking something like Islam or some Asiatic philosophy and using like abstracting things from that as the the antithesis to. Western civilization to create the synthesis that is the new man. 
and they throw in things like they're like vegetarianism, prohibition, uh, you name it. All these things that kind of abstract from Islam or from some Asiatic idea to say, hey, we're going to make a better man by doing this. Uh, human beings will be better. And he's really foreseeing exactly what they do. So with the climate uh, um, scam, the climate change scam, I, I should put it, because the climate's always changing because it's driven by the sun. But the the idea, all oh, this, all it's all your cows farting, and it's your our human industrial progress. They come out talking, you know, we need zero carbon, and they've been talking about that for years. By the way, zero carbon means mass genocide. Because there is no way you can obtain zero carbon. Uh, actually, there is no actual way functionally you can get zero carbon on this planet because volcanoes and other natural events put more carbon in the atmosphere than all human activity combined for thousands of years. But even if that weren't the case, the idea of net zero carbon is mm -hmm. no humans produce anything. Humans are not exhaling. Exhaling, sorry, we're, we're reducing the number of humans that can exhale. And, and the only way you get that is mass genocide. So the climate agenda has always been there right off the bat you saw articles in well the vatican you saw the fine folks over at the vatican you had articles from the fine folks of the new york times mm -hmm. and so many other places saying how wonderful these lockdowns are from the planet you remember back in march of 2020 when the entire planet was locked down and all the media elites were like hey look this is great for the planet this is so wonderful whoops you're saying the quiet part out loud and then all that <laughs> stuff just kind of goes away for a little bit and uh, you've seen some memes around with uh, biden or fauci i've seen several different versions of it where mm -hmm. They've got the, the COVID or whether, wherever the microscopic view, computer-generated creation of what the COVID spike protein is supposed to look like sitting there like Indiana Jones, you know, and the, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark trying to balance out the weight. And then they've got uh, climate crisis, the planet with climate crisis written on it, ready to switch out with the COVID thing. That's always been the agenda. It has always yeah. been there. I mean, they, they've been predicting the world's going to be ended by 2016 if we don't do something. Now, yeah. here we are in 2021. Oh, we're perfectly fine. We didn't do anything because this, none of that matters. Is this kind of like how uh, every 20 years they're called liberals and then they're called progressives and then they're called liberals again? Because one thing, people just get tired of it. It falls out of favor. But they're they're basically just using the, the same blunt object, just re renaming it. Uh, that might, I think that's a little different from that. Uh, the liberals, progressives, uh, flip-flop is... It's mostly just trying to be like uh, undercover on this. But what Brian was talking about, it was 7.6% was the uh, uh, the decrease in carbon that they mentioned last year. And they mentioned that last year was, we've talked about this many times, an experimental year. A couple, was it last month? No, it was right before September. Because that was when we were thinking that, hey, maybe September. Because I hey, I was wrong. I picked October for the shutdown. And we, a lot of people were thinking, wow, September is cranking up. That's when all the, the uh, blogs were coming out saying, oh, we haven't reached our goal. They wanted 7.0 every year to 2030. They're not even close to that. So they're up in arms. Australia is in another lockdown. They're in a lockdown so bad that the premier is, uh, you got, there's an Aussie I know in the chat. Uh, was it, was it $500, $9,000? I mean, just insane fines that are going down out there. Was it Austria just banned unvaccinated people from going, going to cafes? Uh, Germany, England is going nuts right now. It's just, again, it's just a matter of time Context. before let's go Brandon. Now, I want to encourage, I'll get into this. You know, you want to, 
Dan, away. Woman priest is my call. Women preach. I don't know why this is funny right now. I was gonna say, watch it. Because I can lead the way. Why is this happening to us? How is Taylor Marshall taking over the podcast? I was baptized, and this is crazy. Make it stop. Who's producing this thing? <laughs> oh my goodness! What I don't know what that was. Fire, Mike. <laughs> on the screen. You just oh need a better life than this. Father, the father. I know. How many? They got lots of plans. And the wire swings back Mike, you're a sadist. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. There, there was a okay. Here's what happened. Here's what actually happened. People in the chat are demanding a cat, and I was trying to find the cat. I really was. I found the wrong video. I have. This, <laughs> I have. I have this new. This new iMac. I don't know how it works. I'm still trying to figure it out. All right. Sorry. You were making a point, Steve. I don't remember. What I, I mean, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but to Ryan's point, it talked about what in the fourth industrial revolution. The first book that Schwab came out with says. Malthusian principles. Yeah. Yeah, Malthusian. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. (laughs) This is a perfect segment. Uh, Did Marshall infiltrate? Did he infiltrate this podcast? He is an infiltrator. He knows exactly how to do it. He wrote a book about it. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, On the same thing, though, it's never going away. Here's your CDC chief of czar, mask czar, telling you that you will wear a mask for the rest of your life. The evidence is clear. Masks can help prevent the spread of COVID-19 by reducing your chance of infection by more than 80%. Whether it's an infection from the flu, from the coronavirus, or even just the common cold. In combination with other steps like getting your vaccination, hand washing, and keeping physical distance, wearing your mask is an important step you can take to keep us all healthy. Get vaccine facts. We can do Guys, it works for the flu. It's and so it works I'm not going to do it. I don't want the flu. You don't want the flu. Ah. Nobody wants the flu. It's not going away. It's never going away, Steve. Speak for yourself. I want the flu. <laughs> I mean, we suffering. Get, get Anybody with two working brains knows, knows it's not going away. We've been talking about it how many times it's but not going are, away. Nobody, how it's, are there still people? I know it might not even really be here, but they're gonna, the, the narrative is not going away. You t- being told, you being living in fear is not going away. They started this with they, they, this even before the swine flu. Again, everyone get that book, Dissolving Illusions. That will open up your eyes to a lot of this junk that's going on. You know, I just have one question. The beginning of all this. I have a question. My question is, my boy Steve here, he always says that the mask is the hill to die on. But he always has them in such plentiful supply. Yeah. <laughs> run down his well, podcast, he boxes of masks, boxes of them. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's really these same four, so I'm, I'm breaking every rule for oh, same stuff. And now I was at the St. One of the parishes uh, that has one. When you walk in, you get the it's you get the holy sanitizer and the holy mosel before you get to the holy water. And uh, I was just I was in the back when they were the kids going. I need some as a prop. Let me grab some. So I just walked up and went yoke and back my mind. I'm going, man. The problem is somebody's going to look at that going, man. These are high demand. We got to get some more. So I'm like, man, should I get some or not? 
So that that was all the reason why I did. I do you know, everything in here. I mean, I got a the hazmat suit. Man, that thing's hot. But uh, I do it for the people here. <laughs> he does it so you don't have to. <laughs> you know, I guarantee you one thing: I ain't putting one of those those things on anywhere outside. I only do it for you guys. Wait, wait, wait. There's a girl. There's a girl. I don't know if you saw this. She's she's a second grader, seven years old. She's been kicked. She's been suspended from her school thirty six times for not wearing a muzzle. Oh yeah, she uh, has more. You know what? Than most guys I she know. She does. She does. Her give fun to go is is trending more than than the one that we're not going to talk about tonight. Uh, so, but but in conclusion, I want to kick it over to Ryan. Uh, Steve is saying that not all heroes wear hazmat suits, Ryan. <laughs> but some I mean, do. that's true. I mean, I, granted, I get people that are like, well, look, I, it's my job. It's like, you know, I just got to wear this thing and I can work and I can provide for my family. I get that. I'm not your judge. But you got to look at, we got to just define where that line is and where you're going to stand. And most of us, and I think almost everyone now, that, that at least that's tuning into this thing, except maybe one or two people um, or a certain autistic priest that want to come write blog posts based on what we say or something like that. Um, they know, you know, they've already realized that, that the mask is something you have to draw the line of the sand on and say, no. All right. We did that. We wore the mask. And now you're telling us we got to get the jab or we can't wear it or whatever. So now it's like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. And, and welcome to those who are now seeing that, you know, from the way we've been advocating it. Uh, like, again, I'm not your judge. I'm not going to tell you I'm, I'm better than you or smarter than you or whatever, but you got to pick that line to die on. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, and for, for me anyway, it's been testing mask and, and, and jab testing. Well, I will not be tested and I will not wear the Fauci diaper and I will, I will not comply. Period. I'm not going to comply with your garbage Ever. because I don't Ever. have the time and the patience. Here's a here's here's an actual question. All of it. Here's an actual practical question, and this is what I think Steve has done, but he's not willing to confess to it on the rundown, brother Martin. If you were walking into a church and they had a box of masks there available, is it a sin to? To redeploy those masks into your garbage can. I throw them in the trash garbage. <laughs> I mean, they could probably be better used in the bathroom as Kleenex or toilet paper or something. I mean, you can use those things. You can use. Don't be wasteful. You can repurpose them. That's right. That's right. And then put I them mean, back. Could you could you use them as coffee filters? That's you what can, I want. You could you could give them to doctors. I'm sure there's doctors in every Probably. parish. You, you, you could use doctors for to use at work. Brother, you could use the argument here. How many saints have gotten rid of uh, superstitious idols? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's absolutely. a superstition. Nobody and anybody can't say it. It is you. You you act like this does this. It does no such thing. I might as well put my shoe over the corner, turn a football game, <laughs> you know, and say my shoe in the corner is helping wait, them wait, play wait. better on TV. Hold on, we're skirting the line. We're going to get canceled. However, that is an interesting <laughs> point, though, because you don't just throw an idol into the Tiber. You burn that sucker down, baby. You light it on fire. Is that what we should be doing? <laughs> we're in an age, unfortunately, where even, even the hierarchs in the church don't recognize an idol for an idol. I mean, Pacamama. I mean, it's it's blatant, you know? And even more so in that nowadays the idols are are a little bit, I mean they're not wooden statues anymore. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's absolutely it's a, it's all a mess. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, if Pachapapa tells me to wear a one of those things, I just won't do it. 
and I'll set it on fire. And, and to to Ryan's point, also, yeah, we're not bashing anybody, especially you came from the dark side over and taking the muzzle off and figured it out. Great, more, yeah, yeah. You know, no, who cares when you came in? The eleventh hour, eleven thirty, right. whatever. Come on over. But I have I've had plenty of people write me say, well, what if I lose my job? Well, you're going to lose your job over the over the injection if you don't, because look what's happening now. Oh, sure. Everyone and her brother's losing, losing her job over that injection. If yep, you yep. didn't take that stand there, how can you take not take that stand there? And then with the boosters coming, you're not going to be able to take oh, that stand there. Man. Where gonna is be, that line? It's going to be boosters as a lifestyle choice. Um, oh, yeah. Here's here's Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long. I actually used her sworn affidavit. That's the only affidavit I'll be discussing tonight. I used her sworn affidavit in my exemption, my military exemption to uh, the thing. Here she's here she is talking about uh, in front of a in front of a congressional body um, about how she is grounding pilots who take the uh, the serum. With respect to aviation safety, risk communication is critical. I saw five patients in clinic, two of which presented with chest pain days to weeks after vaccination and were subsequently diagnosed with pericarditis and worked up to rule out myocarditis. The third pilot had been vaccinated and felt like he was drunk, chronically fatigued within 24 hours after vaccination. The pilot told me he didn't know what to do, so he drank a lot of coffee to try and quote, wake himself up and continued to fly until he realized it wasn't going away. After I reported to my command, my concerns that in one morning I had to ground three out of three pilots due to vaccine injuries. The next day, my patient patients were canceled. My charts were pulled for review and I was told that I would not be seeing acute patients anymore, just healthy pilots there for their flight physical. You know, Highwire oh. has said that, no, it was uh, Peters, uh, Stu Peters show had said something about there's been, Two pilots to have died in flight. In flight. In flight. Mm, that's a bad thing. You know, if you die <laughs> when you're flying the airplane and then the airplane can't fly itself anymore. Sounds or shoot what it's supposed to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> or land where it's supposed to land. Ryan, we talked about this last time. You jump in on this one. I mentioned that uh, doing the uh, exemption is playing into their game. Oh, man. Right. I think you're right. I kind of regret doing so. it now. Like, I think it so. Whole, it was a whole charade, dude. For me, like, I, I had to submit it, and then they, they were playing these paperwork games, and they, were saying, and they were saying, oh, well, you didn't submit it correctly. And I'm like, well, I used the exact format that you gave me. And they said, oh, but you need this other thing. Oh, but you didn't tell me I needed the thing, and now the deadline has passed. There's a report of somebody were doing a religious exemption, and they called their parish. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yeah. wow. That's to see if they actually go to church, go to mass. See, and then you also say, you really, you don't really believe you know that. I'm okay with that level of diligence because here's what's happening in the Navy and Marine Corps. In the Navy and the Marine Corps, they're all getting the same exact rejection letter it's a form letter it mm -hmm. communicates the fact that the entire thing is a charade you have now outed yourself you're now on a list you're a mm -hmm. you're a um you're an extremist you've 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 doxed yourself um and they're not actually going to 
read your exemption request. They don't care what your exemption request is. Nobody's going to put the time into the exemption request. First of all, the COVID council in the Marine Corps is so overwhelmed by the volume of exemption requests that they're not even reviewing them. So everyone gets the same exact form letter. So I, I honestly, Steve, I'm okay with them calling the parish because I don't want people being like, yeah, I'm Catholic and they're not. I don't want Catholic LARPers. Well, th- there's that. And there's the, the other thing that is involved in. So when you say, okay, I want a religious exemption. I'm acknowledging your authority to dictate my medical choices, but just asking kind, please, Mr. Government, <laughs> please, please let me let not get this thing just this once. And then, and so you're playing their game. You are on their system. And then once you've done that, then half the time what they do is come, well, we don't think your religious beliefs are sincerely held. Oh, really? Who in that? WTF are you to decide that I, my religious beliefs are not sincerely held? Oh, we're the government because the First Amendment gives the government the right to grant, to determine what is an actual religion and what isn't. And that's been you know, upheld through I don't know how much appellate law that the government is the one who determines what actual religion is versus not. And if you don't like it, that's fine. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. The government has no place in that. The government only has the obligation to acknowledge the true religion, not you know to determine what is and isn't religion. They they yeah. they acknowledge the true religion and they follow through with the civil effects of those dictates, such as in marriage and such. What's so, so interesting is so so many active duty have not complied yet. Like their right. their their day has come and gone. The mm-hmm. the deadline has passed. I think something like 40% of the chair force of the chair right. force have not complied. What are you going to do? You're going to kick out 40% yeah. of your fighting they men won't. and women? Also, in a, a particular department in the U.S. government, in a particular department in the U.S. government, 43% haven't even submitted anything. Only 3% have submitted a, a, a religious exception, but 43 are just not doing anything about it. Um, what are you going to do? Fire 43% of an entire department of the U.S. government? Yeah, I just right. saw an article that they're uh, going to cut their benefits if they don't now. Wow. And then you got Billy D up in New York City. New York City. Yes, New York City. Who's going to give 100 bucks to kids. 100 bucks to children. How much to five-year-olds? To get to illegal immigrants. Where's, oh, we forgot about that one. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, speaking of New York City, here's the FDNY. Blocking some streets, making some chaos about what we're talking about right now. Obstructing vehicular traffic. You are ordered to leave the roadway and utilize the available sidewalk. If you do so voluntarily, no charges will be placed against you. If you remain in the roadway, you will be placed under arrest and charged with disorderly conduct. This is the New York City Police Department. You are unlawfully in the roadway and obstructing vehicular traffic. You are ordered to leave the roadway and utilize the available sidewalk. Okay, I didn't know about the language. Sorry about that, children at all. Earmuffs, earmuffs. Yeah, that was bad. I'll try to edit that out. But the the guys that are getting arrested like that, those are the guys to look up to. I mean, that are willing to risk it all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And I mean, I mean, think of like the Santas that comes out and says, uh, anybody that's gotten fired or anything like that, come down here, we'll take care of you. Genius move. <clears throat> I mean, but where were, where were... up, the, the city ended up uh, hiring or re- electing a uh, just basically a Bill de Blasio Jr. type deal guy. And the mm-hmm. former NYPD who wants to rethink uh, the vaccine mandates. I, I guess it's just like how Veritas came out saying, oh, we got to just get this guy elected and uh, then we're going to issue the mandates. New York City just ended up doing the same thing. Boston. Yeah. You see that? that Oh, she's going to put a ban- mandate on the city. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Uh, she, now, this is the new mayor of Boston. She's a, a, a an Asian-American, I, I think Chinese-American. She's um, AOC, but Chinese version. A rising star in the Democrat Party because she's going to give people a basic income. She's going to tell them which light bulbs to use, and she's ooh, going ooh. to tell them what to put in their bodies. Um, it's get, it's getting pretty dark out there, ladies and gentlemen, and um, and there aren't too many heroes. Uh, Steve said that those are the guys to look up to who are protesting. Here are some other guys that we can look up to as well. Not many good news stories begin in such a bad news way. It happened last month here at Southwood High School in Shreveport, Louisiana. Plagued with violence. Over the course of three days, another fight. 23 students arrested for fighting. Massive police response. But strangely, there hasn't been another incident since. Perhaps in part because of this most unusual crisis intervention team. Nobody here has a degree in school counseling. No. no majors in criminal justice. No, no. Your qualifications are? Well, Dad, we decided the best people who can take care of our kids are who? For us. So Michael Lafitte started Dads on Duty. We're out doing what we do for our babies. A group of about 40 Southwood dads who now hang out at the school in shifts. Let's go. Today, any negative energy that enters the building has to run a gauntlet of good parenting. What's going on, buddy? You moving fast. I like that horse. I immediately felt a form of safety. We stopped fighting. People started going to class. How could that be? You ever heard of a look? A look? Dads have the power to do that? Yes. (laughs) Not many people know it, but yes. (laughs) Let's go, let's go. But it's not just the firm stares and stern warnings. Let's make it to class, my son. It's also the dad jokes. (laughs) They just make funny jokes like, oh, hey, your suit's untied, but it's really not untied. (laughs) They hate it. They're so embarrassed by it. And it's that perfect mix of tough love and gentle ribbing that dads do so well that has helped transform this school. The school has really just been like happy and you can feel it. Which is why the dads plan to keep coming to Southwood indefinitely. Because not everybody has the father figure, the father figure at home. Or a male period in their life. Like so that. just to be here makes a big difference. Do you think you stumbled onto something here? Absolutely. I think absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Have a good morning. They'd like to start chapters of Dads on Duty throughout Louisiana. What's up, baby boy? And hope to eventually take on the country. All right. Without a fight. <laughs> Steve Hartman, on the road, in Shreveport, Louisiana. How much do we love those dads? I, that was the most sexist thing I've ever seen. That was the most sexist news segment I've ever seen. Only dads know how to make dad jokes. Only men know how to give the stare. There's something about fatherhood, ladies and gentlemen, and I think that uh, one of the biggest social ills that we face in this country is fatherlessness. 
Yep. Ryan, um, the the federal government now subsidizes fatherlessness, mm-hmm. and uh, each successive uh, uh, election doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Now you're going to have to you know you know uh, subsidize childcare. The state has supplanted itself as the father, and good for these guys for fighting back. Amen to that. I mean, everything the state does is designed to create more fatherlessness, more single women. Or, or whatever, um, it, you know, you get, you know, these increase in welfare payments as you have more kids. And so there's all these incentives to have more kids, more men. And you have women that talk about, oh, this one's baby daddy and this one's baby daddy because there's like five of them or four of them or whatever. God forbid. It's horrible. And and then again, too, uh, if a woman wants to get divorced, um, boom, easy, easy money, no problem. And you all you find this weird contradiction too, where you have these guys who who themselves will divorce and trade in their wife for a younger model, uh, as it were, and then you know never pay child support, government will never touch them. Then you'll get some guy his wife just divorces him out of the blue because whatever issue that happened, and he's working two jobs and they're taking half of everything he's got for child support, even though she's now got a new boyfriend that's paying for everything or a new husband and things of that sort. It's like this weird, you know, there's no balance. There's no justice in any side of anything that happens. Once the government gets in trying to relegate marriage, because the government has absolutely zero business doing anything in marriage, except enforcing the civil effects of the sacrament of matrimony, which is getting, you know, getting a recalcitrant husband who's behaving badly back to providing bed and board or vice versa. Mm -hmm. A woman that's behaving badly back to, you know, the marriage instead, everything favors the divorce, everything favors separation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, then, and then you have the lack of dads in society. And of course, in black culture really suffers this very heavily because that's been promoted as this great thing for them. And the whole criminal culture has been promoted as a great thing. And it's not, it's like the inverse of the way black families were in the 1930s where fatherhood and family were some of the strongest elements. All of that's completely destroyed by communism in the 60s. And then that's the problem you have in that particular community there. But in general, anyway, we you see fathers in, in uh, public media, they're demonized. So I'm not big on, well, let's send our kids to school. We'll have the dads go patrol them at school. I'd rather the dads for, you know, coming home from work and taking over for the mom and teaching that, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But at least it's a positive step. And let's, I'll look at the positive where it's at is that, you know, that, that our schools are war zones, drug zones, prostitution zones. Um, you know, of course, in Loudoun County, Virginia, places where rape is perfectly permissible as long as a person puts on a skirt before he goes in the girl's bathroom. Um, you know, and now it's uh, you know, so if you got something going on that's going to stop that, at least that's a positive, even though I'm not going to yeah. say it's a not, you know, no, it's I not mean- an unmitigated, you know, good. I think I think Brother Martin that, that these people are like stumbling across an eternal truth that there is a nuclear family that children have a right a natural right to a mother and a father that state policy should um, actually endorse that you know in times of uh, in the in medieval times you know one of the reasons why the uh, why the monarchy existed was to support and defend the rights of the father. If the father had a uh, a problem within his family, he could appeal to his king to underwrite his own authority. Um, his authority comes, you know, from the family's point of view, essentially from God. Um, these kids, you know, a, a lot of them, especially in underprivileged communities, grow up without fathers. It's a setback in life. It's a disadvantage. And it's something that the Democrat Party 
um, well, both parties really, but the Democrat Party in particular uh, really loves, they love single motherhood. They love empowered women. They love feminism. And the Novus Ordo loves feminism too. And, and yeah, and fatherlessness too, because I mean, annulments are handed out like the wazoo. But no, you're absolutely right, is, is that the society actually promotes single motherhood um, through the use of contraception, abortion, et cetera, et cetera. They try to empower women to, to really feel like they could do this all on their own, and they can't. Um, but also men, well, when they see an easy way out, they just take it out. They take the immediate gratification and they walk away and say, oh, I just have to throw a couple of dollars that way, and I, I get to escape all the responsibilities uh, of parenting that are, that are supposedly mine. And so they, they, they take that option as well. Um, we are really raising a, a society of degenerate, a, a degenerate generation, um, which is why also, I mean, you, you also see also within these generations, I mean, the millennials, the Zoomers, um, those that do find Christ, and when they, when they have a conversion, they have a radical conversion precisely because they grow up in, 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 in a really dark society, you know, without, without fathers, sometimes even without mothers. I mean, because the, the father leaves, and so the mother's out trying to find a new boy, boyfriend, and so they're you know, if they were the oldest child, they're, they're at home stuck with the two younger kids trying to raise them. And they're, you know, just a few years older than the, the two youngest ones. So it, it is, it, it creates a, a real disaster in the home. Um, but at the same time, all of us knowing Christ, that also gives us the power really to, to, to encounter them, meet them and give them what they're honestly looking for. And one thing actually I've been really disappointed in is, I mean, having worked in, in different dioceses in the United States, how little effort even, even the church puts in, in those communities in terms of placing religious communities there, in terms of, of placing parishes there that are priests and parishes in those particular areas and in, in those particular neighborhoods. We do absolutely nothing for these people. And yet these people are so vulnerable to, to, to evils that even the smallest dim of light would seem massive in those areas. Like this dads for duty obviously shows because even though they're, they're pro, I mean, it's Louisiana, Shreveport, not really a Catholic area in Louisiana, but nonetheless, um, whatever light they have, it's obviously, obviously making a huge difference. Uh, so having the truth, um, I mean, we, we obviously could do as much, as much, if, if not as much, even more damage than, than those guys are doing too, in terms of converting people to Christ. Steve, I'll, I'll give you a, a minute to talk about fatherhood. I mean, I believe it's one of the most uh, grave social ills that we are facing is single motherhood. Uh, it, it, it marries it marries together the twin attacks against the family of, you know, depriving the children of a father, a masculine figure. It uh, feminizes children. And unfortunately it empowers feminism. It marries feminism into the equation, which is, which is, you know, when you talk about the fall of the Roman empire or any, or any of the uh, large empires, feminism was there towards the end of the empire. It was there. No, you see it in pop culture. I mean, was it the morning for the black uh, community is the Moynihan report? I think it was in the 60s. Uh, it was about to be passed. I think it was the 60s. I think it was connected with LG, LBJ. They ended up almost passing it, ended up getting shot down. And then that was when you saw these the decrease of the family and the black population. They had a better ratio for marriage than uh, they did. Angles did at that time. Yeah. And then afterwards, I think they got paid. I think they actually got money. Uh, they actually, the government was paying uh, uh, the mo mothers money if they became single mothers, things like that. Jason Whitlock off the blaze and his fearless uh, uh, YouTube video channel at the beginning of a go to, go back to the old history, uh, especially the, the, the video. We fell for this. You know what? 
he goes into explaining that entire process leading up to what you see today. And you go into, say, like movies. I know Ryan would probably, I, I like Black Panther. Thought it was a great movie. Look how big the matriarchy is in that movie. It's nothing but the matriarchy. The, the main character, Black Panther, has to get permission from his mother. It, his sister runs the thing. It's all women run. You look, you look on a Black Widow. She's beating up people that's four times she's her size. You look at Queen Latifah on TV. Queen Latifah can't beat up a sour crowd. And she's up there and she's like, uh, she's a superhero on TV. Uh, what's his face? Uh, uh, that does the uh, Prison Planet videos. He just came out with one on the propaganda commercials where based, they eliminate the father in all the commercials. Uh, and especially if, you know, for Christmas, they take out the Christian family. They have a Muslim family promoting Christmas. Uh, <laughs> like, what? Uh, but you see it. It's as one three says. I can't deal with this. Honestly, like, I think I've been hacked. <laughs> do you know how easy it is to take control of someone else's computer and do things on that computer? Do you have There's any a, idea how easy that is to do? There's at least, like, eight ways you can do that, right? There's at least eight <laughs> ways that it can be done, ladies and gentlemen. Goodness gracious. Anyway. Time to get to our unpopular opinions this week. Um, I feel like... I feel like we've already said some unpopular opinions. Can I do one thing first before we get to the unpops? Yeah, do something. Uh, this is from a rundown listener in Australia. And she, uh, this individual writes, Hello, I'm off to a rosary procession today from St. Patrick's Cathedral to Parliament House here in Melbourne. It's a day of protest against the government here and the bill being pushed through Parliament that, if passed, will keep us in a permanent pandemic emergency state. At the whim of the Premier Dan Andrews, it will give him unprecedented powers, powers that even Hitler only dreamed of, to even stop elections. Pray for our safety today. Thank you. So that is from a rundown listener in Virginia, or no, sorry, in Australia, um, <clears throat> that, uh, you know, also a customer of mine too, but, she, but this individual watches us uh, regularly. And so, and again, be reminded to pray for the plight of everyone in Australia. Yeah, pray for the Aussies, man. I, man, I, don't, I can't even explain. Come full circle. It's back to a prison colony. It is. It is. Um, anyway. Um, unpopular opinion, Steve, you must have taken that Aussie break to, um, to prepare <laughs> your unpopular opinion this week because you always go first. Steve Cunningham. Uh, I think it's conspiracy or something like that. I got nothing. Uh, I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, we got your six, Padre. There we go. Unpopular opinion this week. Ryan. Remember, remember the 5th of November. It's a famous you know, poem. So the today is the 5th of November, also called Guy Fawkes Day. In the American colonies, it was called Pope Day. 
because on this day they would burn the Pope in effigy. Well, the Protestants, because America was such a base crypto-Catholic nation, you know, if you didn't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the whole thing about the gunpowder plot is based on basically state and government propaganda. Um, this is a minority view amongst historians. It is a very unpopular view amongst historians. There are three views of the gunpowder plot. One is the English state propaganda that a bunch of disaffected Catholics decided to blow up the English parliament under, you know, blow up James and the whole parliament and all the great men and replace them and make it, you know, try to force Catholicism in the country, bring the Spanish in or whatever. Second view, the more normal view is that, well, a bunch of Catholics hatched this plot to kill the King, assassinate King James in 1605 when he opened parliament and the government got wind of it and let it widen and take in as many people as they could. Third view, which is the one I subscribe to, and the one that I think a very, very good case can be made for. And I don't say it is absolutely the, the case because I, I can't convict it absolutely. But I think a very likely case is that the gunpowder plot was hatched by the English state, that is by Robert Cecil, the Lord's High Chancellor, in order to change King James's peace policy. Because when James came from Scotland to rule as James I of England, he was previously James VI of Scotland, uh, the first thing he did was make peace with Spain and with France because he wanted to be the Prince of Peace. And as such, the gunpowder merchants were going to lose big time, a lot of money. If there was no more war, the English were no longer supporting the Dutch in the Netherlands and likewise uh, the Huguenots in France. Add to that one more factor. Peace with Spain means that English Catholics can legally, as English subjects, join the the English regiment in Flanders under the Spanish. And now you have a very well-equipped and well-trained group of English Catholics over across the channel fighting for the King of Spain. And this was mm -hmm. something that Cecil thought was a point of national security. So he takes a bunch of guys, um, Robert Devereux, right? They, anyone know the Essex plot, right? Robert Devereux decides that he wants to, you know, move against Elizabeth, the very last plot of Elizabeth's time, right? Uh, the Essex plot. And so there were th major Catholics caught up in the Essex plot. Lord Monteagle, Thomas Percy, and in uh, Robert Catsby, all the main gunpowder plotters were all part Essex plotters. They were all guilty of treason. They all should have been put to death. And instead, they turned state's evidence and basically waiting for orders from the English government to establish, um, you know, this plot and draw in as many people. Guy Fox, in all likelihood, may only have believed he was guarding gunpowder that would later be sent to the English regiment in Flanders. He had no concept that he was going to blow up Parliament. That may very well actually be the case of the whole gunpowder plot. And then you add in um, the, the taking in the Jesuits, hence Saint, uh, he's not Saint yet, it should be, Henry Garnet. Robert Catsby goes to confess it to him, confesses the plot, and now Catsby, uh, now uh, Garnet is put in the position where he knows about it and he can't do anything about it because it was in confession. And he mm -hmm. writes to the Jesuits, say, hey, I need transfer out of England immediately. Can't say why. And they say, no, you stay there and take your cross. And he did. And eventually he was uh, arrested and, and hanged, drawn, and quartered as one of the plotters, even though he had nothing to do with it except hearing the guy's confession. So the whole thing, you know, again, it, it's, it's like, like your precursor to 9-11 <laughs> and government-managed state terror to get the political benefits out of managing state terrorism. Mm-hmm. And didn't a certain George Washington do something about 
this? That Pope did? Um, Washington it so that the Catholics would fight? Yeah, during the continent, during the Revolutionary War, Washington asked the the, uh, the all the the members of the Continental Army to tone down the celebrations of Pope Day or do it out of view of the French because they didn't want to offend the French because they desperately needed <sighs> the assistance of the Catholic French to fight against. Isn't that Americanism? Isn't that Americanism? <laughs> tone everything yeah. down so we can all just kind of blend together. Just tone it down, guys. Basically, was <laughs> <laughs> the unpop? <laughs> what was the end pop? <laughs> so the end pop was the, <laughs> the end pop was remember, remember the 5th of November. It was English state terrorism. It was not a plot by Catholics to blow up the government. It was a plot by the government to discredit Catholics for their political ends. I wish it was just a plot to blow up the government. Brother Martin. Okay, well, my unpop isn't this first <laughs> statement, but it could probably be this first statement is that Catholics don't read the Old Testament enough. In the sense that in the book of uh, book of Kings, the story ends with the Babylonians conquering Jerusalem and well, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Judah and Israel, precisely because they placed well, they started using things in the temple, uh, taking things from the temple to use it for for secular means, for for blasphemy, for idolatry, et cetera, et cetera. They completely lost focus of worship of God, which is precisely why God rescues the, the Israelites from Egypt first and foremost to wor- worship Him properly in the in the desert. Uh, and in, during the Pope Babylonian captivity, King Cyrus decided to let the Jews go back to Jerusalem. But the Jews were so comfortable in Babylon that, only, that they went back in stages because there were so many that were comfortable and, and decided to stay behind. Um, but that gives way to the, the, the next succeeding books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra was a, was a priest who put first and foremost the reservation of, of worship in the temple. So he started uh taking things that were taken from the temp, uh, temple um, and putting them back in precisely to give worship its dignity, worship of God, its, its first and foremost place. Nehemiah came in as, as kind of a secular ruler, as, as, as a governor, to then order things like the reconstruction of the wall in, uh, around Jerusalem towards that purpose of, you know, Jerusalem exists to, primarily first and foremost to worship God and worship God in the temple. So at the principle, the, the first reason um, absolutely everything in Jerusalem was the worship of God. And then, of course, uh, succeeding the, uh, the book of Judith, Judas was there to, to protect all of that when, when all the Israelites wanted to succeed or to succumb to the Assyrians who were attacking um, and say, hey, let's just give in to the Assyrians. They'll probably give us a decent life. They'll let us live, but let's just get, give up and, and uh, give up all of our principles of our religion and, and just uh, live as the Assyrians do and let them t- take control of us. Judas says, no way, I'll go kill the the." Uh, the head of the army myself, and she goes and and does it. Um, Esther is another story that comes after that, where I mean, she still is one of the later later phases in in Babylon, where she goes and and saves the Jews from the persecution. So again, there's all these stories in the Old Testament that show how hard and difficult life usually is for those who who love God, but also primarily that our first our first reason, our first principle of of asking ourselves how are we supposed to survive this this period this uh, this turmoil that we're experiencing now <laughs> and everything is precisely precisely the, the worship of God. That, that should be our first and uh, fundamental principle of, of everything, which is why I come to my unpopular opinion is that homesteading is not the solution. Homesteading is something you do for financial security to provide for yourself. I mean, you can help others, et cetera, et cetera, because you, you try to be Catholic and understand that you, you live in a society and you, you, Christian charity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
but each and every single family buying 40 acres and building a chapel and having, you know, priests have to travel all those distances to save masses in those chapels, to provide confessions in those chapels, et cetera, et cetera, is, is, it's unrealistic. It's unrealistic. And there needs to be something, I don't want to say the Benedict option, but more like it in the sense that we're supposed to be a society. We're supposed to help each other out. We're supposed to uh, be masters of a particular craft that then, you know, we can share that with others. Um, we're not supposed to be a do all and be all kind of people where we just do everything for ourselves and that's it. And maybe lend a helping hand here and there. Uh, so homesteading, at least if you consult the Old Testament, how 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 Christian uh, uh, the Jews always did it, and of course, I mean even even Saint Paul himself built tents uh, to support the mission. Um, we're not supposed to do things all by ourselves. We're not supposed to escape from society. We're not supposed to. Um, yeah, it's it's, it's I, I find no biblical basis for homesteading at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my unpopular opinion. Homesteading is not is not the solution. So, so you're endorsing the Old Testament. What do you think about people who only read the first five books of the Old Testament? There's some really great stuff in the books. After you got, you also read that. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Is there a Cliff Note version or a movie? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, Chronicles could be a little long. Just but... focus on the first five. Like they're just like, oh, that's a, that's all I need. Just those five numbers, man. Uh, it's be a little daunting. But to be, I just be honest, it gets a little dry. <laughs> if, if if you guys want to start somewhere, Ezra and Nehemiah, they're actually pretty. I mean, they're good reads. Um, and of course, it, it takes place right right when King Cyrus allows the Jews to go back to to Jerusalem. You see Ezra as, as the high priest and Nehemiah as as a secular ruler, and you you see how you read one after the other. Ezra comes first, uh, Nehemiah comes after. You put them together, and you kind of see in a sense, what we're supposed to be trying to build. Mm. Has anybody uh, ever come to you and said, you know what, Leviticus is my favorite book? <laughs> I mean, to be honest, the Gospels are my favorite books, and particularly the Gospel <laughs> yeah. of John. But yeah. You know, I, I've been in parts of the country where Leviticus are, are, are taken quite seriously. In fact, I went to a, uh, a camera shop in New York City. New York I'm, City! I'm pretty sure there was some Levitican action there. Um, okay, so <laughs> speaking of that, um, hey, but first of all, Brother Martin's opinion was a hundred percent directed at Mrs. C. <laughs> oh, that's it. She's li- he's literally talking to you, Mrs. C. You need to you need to show up to wherever Brother is living now and living community. Okay, um, you all is coming. Here's my unpopular opinion. The end is closer than you think. And by that, I mean the end of traditionalism, um, state-sponsored traditionalism in a way, uh, church-sponsored traditionalism in the USSA. You can see that uh, from this week. Uh, if anybody represents the will of, um, of, of uh, His Holiness, uh, the, the Peace Pope, uh, the Most Merciful Francis, in the United States, it is Cardinal Supich. If anybody is his guy here, it would be Cardinal Supich. Supich wrote a piece this week that appeared in a blog site, um, surprisingly, where in which he talked about traditionalist custodes as an as a severe act of mercy, as an act of unity, and that it is more important that all of us express our faith in exactly the same way. Well, whichever uh, Eucharistic prayer you choose, but as long as it's one of the ones from the multiple choice test, 
as long as we all do it the same way, um, then we are one holy Catholic and apostolic. And these pesky, nostalgic, false nostalgic trads need to be stomped out forever. He says in his article that Sumorum Pontificum was always meant to be a temporary compromise with the Lefebrites to bring them into the fold so that we could get these pesky Lefebrites uh, reconverted to the new religion. But since that has failed, we might as well abandon that and let the Lefebrites uh, go do their thing. That's what Supich says. That's what he believes. That's what likely he will start imposing in the Archdiocese of Chicago, Chiland, Chirac, um, as it's sometimes called. And so I think uh, my unpopular opinion is that when you see great scandal, so-called, happening in the state-sponsored, controlled up, uh, orders, you might just scratch your head and wonder, hmm, is this just a pretext to eliminate and suppress those orders? Might be a question worth asking yourself because the end in the USSA, we know, is near. That's my unpopular opinion. Okay, we got to get to the grifting segment, ladies and gentlemen. We have to grift because it wouldn't be a rundown if we weren't grifting. And we always start with Steve, who quite really we do has anything to grift. You have nothing to grift, Steve. Uh, I will get the well. You can't get the beer because they don't have that yet. Uh, What do I have? Uh, Get out of the cities. You're in Boston. Move. You're in New York City. New York City. You're in New York City. Get out. Uh, Use people like. Homestead. Uh, what is a uh, real estate for life? You, you have them get somebody that can help you find a place outside. Maybe the homestead. I don't know. <laughs> Just kidding, bro. Uh, maybe Miss C needs to get the real estate for life. They get out of wherever they're at. They go closer to you. I don't know. Uh, so I think I got uh, basically uh, buy every book that Ryan has as well. We talk about Catholics not reading. If we were reading, I think everybody would have a books a a bookshelf of all mediatrics press books. So <clears throat> get out of the cities, real estate for life. Get up, you know, you can buy books. Oh boy. Uh, Brother Martin, what is the latest? You, you, you made some, some uh, pretty significant amount uh, announcements lately. You told people where you live. You're working on the monastery, the Oblates of St. Augustine. Um, what's next? So the next is is construction. Um, so we're working on building some more rooms and remodeling so that we could have some more uh, vocations come in. I have s- several conversations already this week with a lot of young men who are interested in, in vocations and, and discerning with the Olitz at St. Augustine. Uh, of course, we're remodeling and stuff, so we don't have any space right now technically for, for any visits, but they're coming around right, right around the corner. Uh, the next big project, though, is going to be our chapel. Um, we spoke with a contractor, and our chapel is going to be some, somewhere around $70,000 to remodel. Um, because it's it's in a place that's the structure is there, but the inside's not. Um, so that coming around the corner, but also again, when you add more guys, um, the bills tend to to rise up a little bit more. And so I'd recommend any, people go to our uh, our our website uh, com slash giving. Uh, posted it right there in the chat, um, just to just to help support us because again, we don't we don't have salaries. We don't get jobs precisely so we can dedicate ourselves to prayer, to study, and then to, uh, to speaking with all you guys, either via 
uh, RTF site or census fidelium or, or one-on-one Skype, all that kind of stuff. You know, if, if, if you want to talk, you can always just go to our contact page and, and send me an email um, and, and, and give me a heads up so we, so we can chat about whatever you want. Um, so we provide ourselves for that as well. So, I mean, we're not just sitting, sitting around doing nothing. We're, we're definitely doing a lot of apostolate. Um, so go to our, go to our website, www.oblacesanagustin.com slash giving um, and help us provide this for you guys. Awesome. 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 Uh, they're, already, Ryan, they're already trying to put me against you, brother. I, that, there's no way I meant that about going on uh, uh, contradicting brother on that. Hey, people like conflict. We I'm have to have conflict. I'm out of this. I'm definitely not in the city. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ryan, I need you to do me a favor. Your grift needs to be long enough for me to run upstairs and grab something. Ready, go. Okay, <laughs> I will do that. So first of all, um, there is a supporter of the rundown that sent me a very significant amount of money to cover a project the brother and I are working on, um, as well as other needs, which I put basically to getting my inventory up to snuff for Christmas, as well as a couple other things my, my wife wanted. So thank you to that particular individual. I've uh, been meaning to send a handwritten note, and I have not done it yet because I am terrible with things like that, but I'm extremely appreciative and has been hugely helpful. Secondly, I have a lot of back orders that I just filled today for twin uh, books, the All Souls Forget-Me-Not and St. Robert Bellarmine's Treatise on Purgatory. And so I've got, if you order today, it'll say back order, but it's not, I just have not updated the inventory counts yet. Uh, they are very much in stock. Um, and so I have uh, plenty of those. I also have, um, uh, I forgot to grab it. I'm not going to get up and grab it. The Mystical Floor of St. Fra- Francis de Sales. I have plenty of that in stock. I, I announced that on Twitter. It's a wonderful little anthology of, um, uh, it, it was done in the early or 20th century. Uh, references St. Francis de Sales makes to plants in all his works. And the, the, the author slash translator slash compiler put all that together translated that from the french of his official critical works and produced this wonderful book which is like a little epitome of the spiritual life it's not very long uh it's like a hundred and what did i get it to 150 pages 170 pages and it's if even that much maybe it's like 150 and so 15 bucks you can't go wrong i got it in uh, paperback and hardcover so it's an excellent book just for the spiritual life and for little things you can digest as you go. You don't have to sit there in one reading. It's a great book to take to adoration, great book to take, you know, just in general. Um, you know, I've got, I mean, I've got a zillion others. I just pull one and start advocating it. Franciscans uh, it, during the Reformation in England, another great book uh, that you can read. Um and so on and so forth. A commenter in the live chat asked about breveries. I do have, um, that is actually the very thing that was d- donated toward is uh, reprinting a breviary that will be Augustinian, uh, be the Augustinian um, extras for the bre- the Roman breviary. And so that's something we're working on. The, the biggest part of the exploratory phase is finding a printer in the United States that prints leather bound. So if you happen to know that in the chat, you can uh, email myself, 
info at mediatrixpress.com. You can email Mike, you can email Steve, whatever. Get that information to us. I'm looking, uh, trying to find someone that will do that. Because the problem with if I do a leather-bound edition that comes out of some company in India, the way the supply chain is currently uh, put through self-demolition is, oh, woohoo, we got a breviary. And um, there's absolutely no way for us to buy the book because the supply chain that even brings that here doesn't exist anymore. So we're trying to keep that in the United States, plus to support American labor at the, at the other hand. Um, whereas you go to Baronius, and Baronius has a very nice three-volume breviary. It's produced in India. Um, Angeles Press Missiles, produced in India. And, you know, I'm not going to criticize them for that. That's a good business decision as things go. Um, we try to keep it here in the United States. Uh, the company that does our books, even though they're mostly produced on print-on-demand technology, um, it's done in the United States by Americans, and it's not done in China or in India for pennies on the dollar and shipped over because I want to use American labor for that um, and so on and so forth. So the uh, so that's anyway what we're looking toward. And I'm also looking for that, uh, you know, um, another thing I got to mention since from the grift and Mike's still upstairs. Whoa, whoa, I've been here forever, oh, you bet. man. Okay, been, let me just say this one last thing. Um, so Christmas is coming up. Christmas, in terms of book production, I'm pretty well stocked at almost everything now. But, uh, you know, it's so mid-November. I will not really be able to order much more. Uh, if you're really not sure about the availability of something, you can always email and check. But by December 14th, once we get to mid-November, you want to order priority mail. And once we get to December 14th, if you're ordering for Christmas presents, December 14th is kind of the cutoff where even at Priority Mail, I can't really guarantee you're going to get it by Christmas because of the way everything is clogged up and the postal service gets clogged up. Your two to three day Priority Mail becomes a six to eight day Priority Mail and so on and so forth. So I do advise you to order Priority Mail and please do it by the end of November and into to early December. That way you'll get the books to wrap up and give us Christmas presents Um and, you know, not have the issue of like, oh, I ordered on December. I mean, if you ordered December 16th, I'll, I'll still ship it out. But I'm going to email you and say, I can't guarantee it. So by the 14th, at least in my past experience, I know that if it's priority, it's going to get there. So anyways, that's just my kind of my point as we move into that period of the year. Is it, is it Griff's over? Griff's over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also out of alcohol, too, in case you didn't notice. All right. All right. Let me see if I can find this. I have one thing that I would like to grift today, if I can figure out how to do it on this here website of ours. It's not working. Where is it? Come here. Come here, you. Uh, I guess it's not going to work. Oh, it's not that. It's not that. Hold on, people. Well, as you know... As you know, I have undertaken to do something um, in the service of truth, and I have a whole video about it, and I just want to share my screen. If I can find the right screen to share, um, that would be great because I want you to see exactly what I'm looking at. Tell me if you can see it. Can you see it? No. Nope. Oh, well, we've raised 100 in $38,000, almost $139,000 as of right now, 146% of our goal uh, to find the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth in the case of Father James Jackson and, um, and the passion that he is going through right now. That fundraiser is closing tonight. 
tonight is the last night that you can donate to it because we have way over raised. We've raised enough for um, the discovery of truth and to help with the legal defense. And, um, and I'm very grateful that all of you were able to do that within, I think just two days in two days. Imagine that $140,000 in two days. Pretty good. Um, I would say that that would help. Um, so that's the only thing I want to grift. The other thing I want to grift is, uh, well, I actually have a video. I am in receipt in my hot little hands, the Saint Maker Catholic Living Planner. This thing is a blunt object. It is high quality. You can bludgeon somebody with it. Um, in fact, I have a whole video about it. Here it is. I have to tell you, this thing is so high quality. It tells you literally every day what you're supposed to be doing. It gives you an examination checklist, before and after examination, sins and shortcomings. I was hesitant to start writing my sins and shortcomings down into a book because I'm like, Christine Niles is going to get her hands on this thing and who knows what she's going to do with it. Um, but the truth is, is that, you know, when you say your litany of humility and you say, hey, you know what? If somebody reads this, that's fine, because in the end, our sins are going to be known by everyone at our general uh, after our particular judgment and after general judgment. Active contrition is built in summary, personal journal index every single day gives you the readings. It gives you everything you need. You can go to the saintmaker.com. There is a website. In fact, I have my own. I have my own website. You go to uh, it. It is in the show notes. You can pick up your Saint Maker. They do have a ninety day guarantee, so you can just get your refund if you're if it doesn't work for you. I have to tell you, I didn't think that a physical, printed, bound book was for me in this age of information that we live in. But you know what? I like having the book. I really do. I like having the book. I like being able to. I like taking my fountain pen, which will save Western civilization, perhaps, and writing in my physical book. It's the Saint Maker book. I take this thing everywhere with me. It's already beat up. Now, a note on the teal color. Can I just tell you about the teal color? It wasn't supposed to be teal. It was supposed to be green. But you know what? Nathan called me, and he said he's the guy who publishes this, and he said, look, I know it was supposed to be green. I didn't get a chance to proof the color before it went to print. I didn't want to miss the, the, the deadline. But you know what? I kind of like the teal. It almost reminds me It almost reminds me of the cerulean blue from Our Lady of Guadalupe and what she, what, what she wears. So uh, you know what? Just this once, and as we're headed into December 8th with Our Lady of Guadalupe, I am fine with the cerulean blue. This is the same blue, the Castilian rose blue that the, um, that the Tilma is. So I'm good with that. Final thoughts from anyone. Well, you mentioned um, <clears throat> the fundraiser, of course, and that's something that's been criticized. Uh, and we did not address that issue tonight for uh, for very specific reasons. Um, but in this case, it's it's the love of the Catholic priesthood and the fact that you are innocent until proven guilty. And here, more importantly, is that there's just a lack of forensic evidence that clearly ties it so there's questions and because myself and steve we know this particular priest we know for us it's a no it's not a 
It's a K-N-O-W. We know he could not have done this particular thing that he's accused of, which is horrific. Um, it, it just doesn't add up. And so if it could be absolutely clearly proved to me that forensically that, that he did the things he's accused of, then absolutely give the death penalty 100%. But we're not sitting here because he's a traditional priest. we got to support traditional priests. It's because we know this man, and we know he's a an holy and upright man and a good Catholic priest. And even if, if he was saying the Novosordo and he was a good, holy, Catholic, and upright priest, we would have the exact same view that we got to support Catholic priests when they're being unjustly attacked. And that's the point of what we're doing and kind of pointing to this particular, uh, you know, fundraising effort. It's to find the truth, to defend the truth, not to defend someone who's done evil, but to defend the truth. That's, that's kind of the only thing I wanted to add to that. Cool. Thanks. This is the rundown. It is your most watched, least trusted news program in all of Catholic media. Thank you for watching. That's the end. That's it. We gotta go.